Uh, good morning. We're going to take a brief detour today from looking at the life of Moses to look at the life of his big sister, Miriam. We have Moses' family listed in the census part of the book of Numbers. I'm just going to read the verse to you. It's in chapter 26. The name of Amram's wife was Joshua, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Amram, she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. Now, there's not a great deal written about Miriam, but there is enough for us to trace the general course of her life. And we can see that she started off her life very well as a believer. She was used by the Lord in mighty ways. In fact, the first time we see her used by the Lord, she's just a little girl. Let's turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along the river side. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go up and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Now, Moses' parents had no idea that the ark containing Moses would end up in the hands of an Egyptian princess. It's not like they uh, told Miriam, you know, wait by the bushes, and when Moses gets into the hands of Pharaoh's daughter, go say this and that to her. No, they really didn't know what would happen. It showed a lot of initiative, a lot of selflessness on Miriam's part when she spoke up here. No doubt she had seen how painful it was for her parents to part with Moses. Maybe there had been a lot of tears. She was really thinking about her little brother and her parents when she did this. We don't know exactly how old Miriam was at the time. Miriam was most likely the eldest of the three children. States in Exodus chapter 7, the time when Moses and Aaron were first confronting Pharaoh, Moses was 80 years old at the time, and Aaron was 83 years old. We'll just assume that um, there was probably maybe a three-year gap or so between each of the kids. And we'll say Miriam was you know, probably between six and eight years of age at this time. It's easy to underestimate just how bold this little girl was. Let's look, look, let's look at where she's coming from. You know, if you're a Hebrew slave, you don't just go up to some member of the Egyptian royal family and make a suggestion to them. <laughs> no. The average Jewish person had plenty of reasons to be afraid of the Egyptians. You know, the pharaoh of the time had just ordered that all the male infants be killed. 
the Hebrews were probably abused by the Egyptians on a daily basis. If you're a Jewish person, you probably would not have wanted to attract the attention, let alone start speaking to an Egyptian person. Because who knows what an Egyptian person could have done to you if you thought you were speaking to them out of turn. Now put yourself in the place of a little girl, six years old, staring up at a group of Egyptian adults who are power over you in height. Well, Miriam did a very difficult thing here. She's a true example of boldness here, a type of boldness we should have as witnesses for the Lord. The next time we see Miriam, it's actually over 80 years later. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 15. And verses 20 to 21. This is just after the crossing of the Red Sea, after the Lord had destroyed the Egyptian army that had been pursuing them. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Now, it's not recorded elsewhere, but it looks very much like Miriam was used by the Lord on other occasions, too. We see in the book of Micah, I'll just read the verse for you. It's in chapter 6, verse 4, if you want to look it up. The Lord states to Israel, For I have brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Now, it's clear that the Lord appointed Moses to lead Israel and Aaron to be a spokesman. It's not clearly stated what exactly Miriam's role was, but it's very possible she was a leader among the women. And there are really not many prophetesses mentioned throughout the entire Bible. The Lord gave Miriam a very rare honor here. I don't know of anywhere else in Scripture where you see a woman leading the rest of the women in a public display of worship to the Lord. But then something happened. It's probably just a little over a year after this, we see Miriam acting much differently. Let's turn to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 12. Starting in verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now there's nothing in this accusation regarding marriage laws or whether it was right for Moses to marry this woman. There's really nothing to say it was wrong. And for all we know, Moses' first wife, Zipporah, may have died along the way and he had just chosen to remarry. And we see this is really actually just a trumped-up charge. This was an excuse for Miriam and Aaron to speak against Moses and try to tear him down. The real reason for their speaking out was that they resented Moses' authority. Going on to verse 2. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. 
And it was not like Moses was being a tyrant, leading according to his own will. He was just doing everything as the Lord commanded. The Lord was leading through Moses, and really, Miriam and Aaron, in speaking against Moses, were rebelling against the Lord. And they thought that rebellion was justified by the fact that they themselves had been used by the Lord in the past. Perhaps they thought, if the Lord had used them in the past, it must mean the Lord thought they were pretty important. Important enough to also be in that place of leadership over Israel. They had gotten proud in their hearts. Something else Miriam might have had in her thoughts, too, about Moses. Well, he's only my little brother. I saved his life all those years ago. What gives him the right to be making all the decisions? After all, doesn't he owe me his life? Pride has this insidious way of sneaking in. It's after any kind of spiritual success, any kind of spiritual victory in our lives, that we're very susceptible, we're very vulnerable, very much in danger of falling into pride. By spiritual success, you know, you might have had a chance to witness to someone. You might have just had this great chance to share the whole gospel with someone. Maybe you led a Bible study and saw someone led to the Lord. Maybe you just got to share some great insight about the Lord to someone. A brother or sister compliments you and thanks you for the great encouragement you've been to them. Now, if any of us have been used by the Lord in such a way, this should really be a response. Praise the Lord. To God be the glory. But we tend to think back and start putting ourselves, thinking about ourselves more and more. We really slide easily from praising the Lord to praising ourselves. Okay, say you give God the glory after the first round of compliments. Then you start replaying that victory in your mind over and over. You start paying just a little more attention to yourself. And you think, yeah, the Lord did use me in a mighty way, didn't he? And as you replay that scenario over and over and just dwell on it, the Lord gets left out of the praise. You take more center stage. And you think to yourself, yeah, I did a pretty good job on that, didn't I? Give yourself a pat on the back, and then pretty soon you think, I'm quite something, aren't I? Now, if you did any great work for the Lord, it wasn't because of anything good that came out of you. It was just just in the same way the Lord doesn't save us because we're anything special. He doesn't choose to use us because we're anything special in ourselves either. God can use anything, anyone. I mean, God spoke through a donkey in the past. He doesn't have to use you. 1 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 7, I'll just read the verse. For who makes you defer from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you glory as if you had not received it? Preaching, teaching, helps, evangelism, all those spiritual gifts, we know that they're from the Lord. But it doesn't just apply to that, too. Any other things you have, any talents or abilities, maybe it's playing a musical instrument, maybe it's speaking a foreign language, 
You know, all those things came, all those things are from the Lord also. God gave it to you. It, didn't, it did not originate from you. And God gave it to you so that he might be glorified, that he might be made known. We really have no right to think anything of ourselves. Another verse in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 3, verse 7. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God, God who gives the increase. And something about pride also. Pride is a very, very poorly contained sin, just like a lot of other sins. And we feel so good about, we feel so good about ourselves, we have to make other people know how special we are. The problem, though, with pride is, you know, if you elevate yourself, do you know you're actually getting in God's way? You know, as, God, as Rick spoke about last week, God's will is that he wants to reveal who he is. He wants to show the whole world who he is and what he's like. He certainly doesn't want to exalt a person. That's for very good reason. You know, people need to be saved. People are not going to be saved by turning to and constantly listening to a preacher, however well-spoken or eloquent that person might be. People are only going to be saved by turning to the Lord himself, by crying out to the Lord himself for salvation. Now, if you put yourself in that position where you want everyone's eyes on you, where you want to be the focus of all attention, you're putting yourself between other people and God. Rather than glorying in yourself, this is what a person should be glorying in. This is a verse in Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him, who, let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. It's very closely linked with pride. But we also see something else going on with Miriam and Aaron here when they're speaking against Moses. It's not just that they want to elevate themselves. They want to see Moses taken down. They want to see him brought down. They had become envious of Moses. Envy. Envy happens whenever we start looking and fixating on how well someone else is doing in comparison to ourselves. It happens when I look at what another brother or sister has. And it could be anything. It could be their spiritual gifts. It could be their talents and abilities. It could be the opportunities they've been given to serve the Lord. It could be their family. It could be their children. It could be their material possessions. I look at all those things the person next to me has, and it makes me very unhappy. In fact, I start wishing the worst for that other person. And it doesn't even, in fact, envy, it doesn't even require personal contact. You might just hear of how successful some other brother or sister is and just start thinking ill of them. 
I ask you, have, have you ever just taken a sidelong glance at another brother or sister and just wished that they were not doing quite so well? Or maybe you think and brood about and wish something else. Wouldn't it be nice if that brother or sister who just seems to have it all just failed and fell flat on their face? If you keep thinking along those lines, you might even wish that that other brother or sister was not around. It's a serious sin. It has serious consequences. Envy is, envy is divisive. It's destructive. In Romans chapter 1, when Paul lists various sins, it's not by accident envy and murder are placed side by side. And again, in Galatians chapter 5, when talking about the works of flesh that are evident, envy and murders are again back to back. And envy is what led the Pharisees to deliver the Lord Jesus to the Romans to be crucified. It says of Pilate and the, and the Pharisees in Matthew 27, for he knew that because of envy they had delivered him. Now the envy we see here had probably been stewing for a while. It wasn't just that around the time that Moses got married to this Ethiopian woman that suddenly Aaron and Miriam got envious of Moses' position. Now the fact that they were seizing on this particular segment of his life that really had nothing to do with the decisions and his leadership over Israel really showed that they had been really looking for a weakness in their brother for a long time. Now it looked like the perfect opportunity had come take Moses down and discredit him. You almost get the impression of someone lying in wait in an ambush for an unsuspecting victim. The Lord deals swiftly with Miriam here, though. In verse 4 we see, Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle meeting. So the three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, and I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. Noticeably, the Lord punishes Miriam, not Aaron. It may have been Miriam was the more guilty of the two. Maybe she had been the one to actually instigate the charge against Moses. And she doesn't say a thing. She couldn't say anything. It's noticeable Aaron pleads with Moses on Miriam's behalf, and Moses himself pleads later with the Lord on Miriam's behalf. But Miriam herself is not recorded as saying a word. 
There's no cry for mercy. There's no plea for forgiveness. There's no prayer for healing. I think Mary was speechless because she just got fully convicted of her sin. She knew she fully deserved the punishment the Lord had just given her. In fact, the Lord was being very merciful in his punishment of her. If you just look at the preceding chapter, Numbers 11, the Lord had just finished punishing, just finished judging a number of the people who had been complaining against Moses and punished them by death through fire and plagues. So Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, please do not lay the sin on us in which we have done foolishly and which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days. And after that, she may be received again. You know, the Lord wants to bring us back into fellowship with him if we ever get proud or self-absorbed. Now, often, t- sometimes, you know, sometimes we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord of our own initiative. I think more often than not, we need to be worked on more often than not, we need to be humbled by the Lord. Sometimes we need to be worked on for a few days, a few weeks, maybe longer. He does it for good reason. It says in Hebrews 12, 5, I'll just read the verse. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. The Lord allows some things come into our lives to humble us, to break us. It's that wonderful point of brokenness that when we realize our own sinfulness, our own insufficiency, that's when we can come back to him. Miriam, she had seven lonely days to consider what she had done. There's not really much said of Miriam after this. She fades from the scene very quietly just turn a few pages over to Numbers 20. In verse 1, it's just mentioned, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. And following her death, she's mentioned in... Uh, Deuteronomy in chapter 24 as a warning in regards to leprosy. It says, Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when he came out of Egypt. We can take Miriam's life as a warning in other ways, though. Now, I have to confess, I've been a partaker in these sins that Miriam had in her life. Now, I'm not preaching about envy and pride because I've never committed those sins. You know, I've been, I'm sorry I say I've been envious and prideful more times than I care to admit. And really, these are sins that can attack any believer, regardless of how young or old you are in the Lord. And Miriam, she was an 80-plus-year-old prophetess. 
she was an old and trained believer in the Lord. So how do you prevent yourself from falling into these sins? In regards to pride, there's one missionary I know. She prayed that she might be invisible. It's a good prayer. Because when you think about when you take yourself completely out of the picture, when you try to secrete yourself so all your actions are done just not so other people can see them, but only the Lord, only the Lord is visible. There's one brother I know, he's really got the hang of this brother than anyone else I know. He might be doing like 10 things at once for the saints in the service of the Lord. He does it so quietly, just so um, surreptitiously that you know, no one notices. It looks like he's not doing anything. But you might wonder, well, what if you're placed in a very public ministry? What if you're, say, giving a devotional or a message and everyone's eyes are turned on you? How do you make yourself invisible then? Or you do something for the Lord and it's very widely known. It's really simple. All you do is you just redirect all your attention to the Lord. You just leave yourself out of the picture as much as possible. You know, there's one particular preacher who basically made his whole life just a signpost pointing to the Lord Jesus. John the Baptist. He must increase. I must decrease. Well, the one good time when it is good to look at someone, another person, is when that person is so completely empty of self. God is in total control of that person. And you're really following the Lord's example. As I mentioned above, before, the, the Lord wants to reveal himself. Now, he could do that in a lot of ways if he wanted to. You know, if the Lord wanted to right now, he could just write a whole bunch of letters in the sky right now proclaiming he's God. And that'd be pretty glorifying. But he chooses to use people. He chooses to use believers. The best way to put yourself in the position to be used by the Lord is when you let yourself decrease and strive to be that unknown and unrecognized person. Instead, you strive to make the Lord visible. In regards to envy, well, the key to avoiding this is just to concentrate on serving the Lord only. You don't focus on pleasing yourself or others. You don't focus on how other people are doing their lives, what they have and what you don't have. You avoid looking at yourself. Paul has this attitude in 1 Corinthians verse, in chapter 4. Let's turn there. verse 3, we see Paul saying, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me 
is the Lord. Really, if you occupy yourself with the Lord and being well-pleasing to Him, that's going to keep you plenty busy. You're not going to have time to make that sidelong, envious glance at someone else. You have your eyes set on serving the Lord. It's only, it doesn't matter what other people have, how other people are progressing, or what others think of you. You know, sin like envy is not going to have anywhere to take root. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. Lord, we, we thank you again for your salvation and how we can be used by you. Lord, we pray, Lord, that in our service for you, that we would be focused purely on pleasing you, that we would seek to see you glorified, that we would seek to see you visible, made visible to the entire world. Pray, Father, that this be the focus of our lives and that we would not set our eyes on others or on ourselves, Lord, but only on you and on serving you. Praise in your Son's holy name.